0: So that was that was a paradise garage um, experience. It was pretty fun.
1: Well, that's what happens when you go there. You never know because it's like going in someone's personal living room. That's how they ran that club, you know. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I people people fall asleep
0: on the sofa of, in their personal living room. And <laughs> if it's Larry LeVan's personal living room sofa, hey, Larry's fallen asleep. I suppose yeah, that
1: yeah, makes sense. In that sense, that's how the, the club ran. Same yeah. as like. Crusoe's loft, you know, it's but on a bigger scale. Mm. You can get away I with never that. made it. now. that. You can get away with that type of stuff, Nick. You couldn't yeah. get away with that everywhere. Uh, I, I would have been fired 10 times over for any kind of stuff like that. But he was Larry LeVan. It was his club, you know. You know, it was the best club in the, at the time. Well, not to say that also, let's give it up to Bruce Forrest at Better Days because he was rocking hard the other side of house music, so...
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't go to them all. I went to a few spots. I mean, maybe it was a year or two later. I probably made it to Zanzibar and Jersey for Tony Humphreys, but that might have been a couple of years later. Um, yeah, I went to Save the Robots. I went to some hip-hop shows. Uh, oh, I went to a, a sort of death jam sleeping bag party at Sylvia's in Harlem, which is quite interesting. That was the first time I'd been in a New York nightery where somebody – showed me the gun that was just stuffed into their top of their tracksuit bottoms. This guy was saying, I'll give you a lift home. And he was like, you'll be safe with me, man. Shows me the gun tucked into the... You're all right. You'll be all right. You're all right.
1: I'm like, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Okay, I'm all right. Yeah, I got it. You weren't yeah. using that coming from England. You guys didn't have that over in England. Still don't, thank God. No, but I'm saying in the sense of how just New York was so and in those days, it was still it wasn't the Walt Disney Times Square that people see today. Oh, pretty raw, man. Yeah, you gotta tell that. I mean, that's a different story. It's a New York. New
0: uh-huh, York, uh-huh. New York. <laughs> so so all of that happened and then I came back. I mean this is this is the trouble with this with doing this sort of show. I mean I'm trying you know we we're talking 30 years worth. I mean I could sit here for 30 years talking about the last 30 years but it might might be a bit of a stretch. We've
1: already and, got people interested. Don't worry. People are
0: like Yeah. What? So 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 basically I come back I, and then in the the you know the following year I'm working for Easy Street from my dorm room so I'm a uni student but I'm also getting sent new promos and stuff like that by Easy Street. So the very first record I signed, I wonder if you remember this record, Lenny, The Funky Ginger Slaughterhouse on
1: Easy Street. Yeah, I do, you Yeah, I do remember it.
0: Okay, cool. So that well, I found that because that was a record made by Simon Law, who was the brother of my friend Joanna Law that I went to university with. And then I sent that to Mike Gusick. I said, hey, found this record. And he's like, yeah, we'd like to sign that to Easy Street. So so that was the first time I like signed a record, really. Um, and I was doing that during my last year of uni. So I was going to see record label people going, Hey, you know, I've got this, this new easy street stuff. Do you want to sign it? So I'd go and visit Pete Tom or whoever. And, um, they'd be like, how come you're the rep for easy street then? Cause, <laughs> you're, just, cause you're just a kid. Uh, you're just a kid. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just a kid. Um, but, uh, I was working at BLS in the summer in New York and I got to know, know the easy street guys then. And then they go, how did you get to know the, that's, that's how the did you get? Way- how did you get to work at BLS? You know, and then I told them all the stories. So I got to know all these people, and then, and then, it got to the summer of 1988. Then, to put the the, the icing on the cake, I went to Ibiza, um, and uh, hung out in Ibiza in the summer of 1988, and had an idea to sell smiley t-shirts out there because I was at Amnesia, and I sat next to a Greek girl. Who had a hand-painted smiley shirt? You think Forrest Gump? it keeps happening again yo, and yo, again. Yo, yo,
1: yo, this is a lie now. I'm joking. Yo, no, no, no.
0: So I'm next to this Greek girl. She's got a hand-painted painted smiley shirt in amnesia, and people keep going up to her, going like, "Oh, wow, your t-shirt's so cool. Where did you get it?" She goes, "Oh, I made it myself." And then I get get chatting to uh, Ulysses, who ran, like, the boutique in Amnesia. And I said, hey, there's this smiley thing. It's quite getting, you know, like a bit of a buzz in England. There's a club called Shum, and they've got a smiley logo. And it's a bit of a thing, you know, in the, you know. And there's this girl, and she's in a T-shirt. And, and he goes, hey, he goes, oh, well, you know, I tell you what, Nick, if you want to, make some smiley t-shirts I'll buy the first 25 off you and what's more I'll even drive you to the to the factory where you can get them manufactured and stuff so then what we went there got the t-shirts manufactured ulysses stopped them they sold out and so summer of 88 I was DJing in a beach bar, and then every night I'd finish at one a.m. in the beach bar. Get on my moped, and then I'd go usually to sort of Amnesia or to Koo or some of these other places. And then with I had a little book, like you know, right, delivering another twenty t-shirts, collecting the money from ones that have been sold. So that was summer of nineteen eighty-eight.
1: Meanwhile, while he's doing the t-shirts, whom he's talking about, the Danny Rampling Club with Jenny is starting to make a lot of noise too. And now music is starting to really start to take its foothold in England.
0: Big time. It is. It is. And I come He's on right to the He's right there. Job- He's
1: living it. You're living within the bubble, mate, right? I come on
0: to the job market as a, a graduate of whatever I was, maybe just turned 21 years old. With this incredible CV now of like, what, you've been hanging out in Ibiza, you've been in in New York, you know. They
1: must have been asking the question, how did you acquire to get all this? Because, you know, when, you know, when you're looking at it and then you look how young you are, Yeah, happened to me too. I used to tell people who I knew in those days, they'd be like, you're lying. that's why when I was joking, when you said you're lying, the first thing I would hear from my, get out of here, you didn't do that. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. I, you stop telling people you start yeah. just because you start saying, you know what? You just seem like you're blagging and you're telling the truth. You're telling the truth. But yet you're in the middle of it all.
0: You know, it, it, it isn't quite as simple as sort of one door. You know, there's a classic phrase like one door shuts another another door opens. People talk about that in life. I think it's more like it's like you walk through one door and then you see a whole bunch of other doors. And obviously, you might push on one or two of them, and they're firmly locked. So that ain't going to happen. But then you push on another one. Oh, and then it sort of slightly opens. You either walk through that or you push on another one. Oh, that's a little bit open as well. And then you walk through another one, and then then there's even more doors. And it's just like all interconnected. So one thing leads to the next, to the next. And that's been my story in my life of this endless interconnection of, 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 of stuff and looping back, you know, like he was saying, you know, Mike Gusick there, I was, we've already touched on that one, lockdown 2020, and I'm helping, working with Mike, bringing new versions of the the back catalogue out and, and, and that's doing well. You know, just reconnecting with somebody that, that gave me a break in, in 1987.
1: What's but what better than him because he's a lawyer besides being an owner of a record label. Yeah. And You know, how great. And he, I have to give him a lot of credit. He helped teach he us, should I say, he helped taught us a lot. He's still my yeah. generation, a generation and a half later, still doing my deals. So, sure. yeah. So we get it. You know, he's the right guy at the beginning to say, hey, yeah. do this. This is how you sign records. So you're in that formative years. As you're picking up all the slang and being, yeah. for example, I wanted to ask this question about BLS. Did you realize at that time how cutting edge BLS was with the sound of the street, with the house music of Molly Ma was doing the lunch mix. That's and, right. And he was playing a lot of records that only you heard it say like the garage or better days. Mm. Were you realizing all that with Timmy Regisford and Merlin Bob on Friday and Saturday nights doing their shows—how cutting edge the house music scene was in New York because of that.
0: Well, I think I knew that I was in the I was in the right place at the it's right time. I definitely it. knew that I was, you know, like you know, like these records were coming in. I'm like, oh, a white label of that, oh, that's good, you know. And and I was, yeah, when Marley, you know, I pick up all the records and tidy them up after Marley had done that lunchtime mix or or write down the the log of what they were and all that. So, yeah, I knew I was in the the right place at the right time. And I knew that when I was in Ibiza in the summer of 88, I was in the right place at the right time as well. And then, yeah, I was very lucky. So as house music exploded, I I was there and, you know, I, I knew DJs and, you know, I was just sort of, there, so I so my, I got a gig at a independent promotion company, um, and I started helping out there doing DJ and radio promotion. And then I went to see Tim Palmer at uh, City Beat Records, who was looking for a new club promo person. And I said, "Hey, you know, I'm uh, you know we can. I, I work for this indie company doing club promo called Secret uh, Promotions." Um, but but, you know, I'm, I'm also interested in maybe working at a label at some point uh, rather than just, you know, doing promo. And so so Tim said, well, you know, anybody who's working for me doing promo, if you find a great record, uh, I'd be up for, you know, you signing it. Um, so I was thinking, wow, that's that sounds good. Um, and so I got off the job, offered the job of, of club promo at City Beat, which I then went to. Um, and then I, I guess I made it my business to find some records to sign. And then fairly soon, um, I signed a record called Numero Uno by Starlight, uh, which was a top 10 pop hit. The first so,
1: this is the first record for them you signed and you got a pop hit already.
0: Well, not the first. I'd, I'd signed a couple of records that had done a bit, so I didn't have a smash with my first signing, but it came fairly soon. Um, and But again, you know, do we call it luck? Do we call it something else? I mean, I, I was in the right place at the right time to hear the record, but I'd travelled to this event on the outskirts of London on a Sunday afternoon. And then I heard Danny Rampling play the record. And then I went racing up to the decks to find out what it was and looked at it. And it said, fuck off, nosy on the label. (laughs) No. Yeah. So I thought, Oh, maybe he's not, maybe I'm not going to get the full information here. (laughs) But then I, when I sang it the next day, to a record store to Richard at Craig and Craig at tracks. So
1: like, yeah, wait, that's, that's- on, let, me wait, let me let me let me explain. Let me explain it cuz people don't know this vinyl generation. You this is just mm. that's why I had to laugh. Yeah. Okay. Back in the day when we were all vinyl, okay? DJs would like to put white covers over their records because they didn't want you to know what they were playing. It was a, it was a selector's thing. So when he went and looked as what they would call train spotting, he it said, <laughs> I do not want to repeat what it said, it said F off nosy. <laughs> That's why I cracked that. I didn't mean to laugh, but it was just funny when he said it. Cause I haven't heard that in so long, but DJs would have their stuff protected. It was a thing because they were, They cherished the music like treasures that they went digging for. So him, what he did as an A&R person, he was out doing exactly what he was supposed to and meant to do. He was scouting, he's scouting the records and we lost him for a moment. He was scouting the records and pushing to get the best sounds for the record label. You know, as he was saying before, hopefully he comes back. We lost him for a moment. We should get him back simultaneously as I'm speaking. But check this out. So we recap. He worked at BL. Ah, he's back. Thank God. Okay, Nick. Good thing. Welcome back, Nick. We lost you for a second. Okay. So, on again, on the yes. chat, we were saying how fortunate you were pushing to get as an AR scout to, to find the best products. And you're yeah. pushing your way through no matter what it took. And that means if you sang the song over the over the phone.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was it. So then that we learned that it was Starlight, Numero Uno, signed the record, became a top 10 hit. Um, and then I could shake off a little bit more of the, the, the club promotion stuff um, and become more of an AR man, really, kind of signing records. Um, and then we... Um, I suggested to Tim that we set up a label that is, was more tapped into the underground at the time, that wasn't trying to have pop hits, that was more about credible underground DJ records. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he agreed that was a great idea to, to set something new up, and, and that was XL Recordings. And we were off into a new adventure there, you know, um, Frankie Bones... Uh, you know Tommy Musto, the Looney Tunes EP series, Flowmasters, Energy Dawn, big rave records from Belgium like T99, Cubic 22 Junior Vasquez. Funnily enough, earlier on, actually, in the life of uh, of the XL label, um, and then and then the big hits really started to to come through, and we just had this run of success: SL2 and Liquid, and and of course the Prodigy, who. Um, were signed before there was a band in actual fact it was just Liam came in with a, a demo tape played me some good underground music and fortunately I thought it was the right thing to, to sign um and and then everything else exploded everything else grew from there so the you know the band came together and, and the touring started to happen which propelled future hits, and um, obviously Prodigy have gone on to this unbelievable level of, of, of success over the years. Can I
1: ask something about XL? Yeah, go for it. When you sat down, you were in the middle of City Beat making the transition and having these hits and all that, and you found founding XL Recordings, what was the... Because I, I, a lot of the records you mentioned in the beginning were new groove records. Were these... Yeah. Records- Okay, were these were these records hitting heavy in England and you went to go and grab them or were you just on on it before these records popped?
0: No. I'd say on it on it before they popped really. Uh, because I think that if you'd waited for something to get really big then then we wouldn't have been able to sign it cuz we were an indie, we didn't we weren't an FFRR with a checkbook to spend. I mean, a good example, before Excel Recordings happened, I actually thought that I'd signed French Kiss for about, well, a bit longer than five minutes. Maybe for a few days, I thought I'd signed French Kiss by Little Louis. But that was an example. You know, I'd called up, the, I'd heard the record in a club. It had, I'd gone, One on earth is this record? This is insane. Justin Bertman had played it uh, at Heaven. Uh, and then I called up the number on the label and... Uh, and he goes, hi, this is Louie. <laughs> so I was like, literally through to little Louie on the, uh, you know, yeah. oh, I'm interested in signing your record. Uh, and he goes, uh, okay, cool. And I, I go, yeah, so would like, you know, $2,000 or something like that be appropriate? Yeah, sounds fine to me, man. Just speak to my lawyer and wrap it up. That's cool. Oh, cool. All right, great. You know, we we'll finish the conversation. I'm like, is it as easy as that? I just signed sign this record? But then, you know, about three weeks later, the lawyer says we've got significant interest from lots of parties, and we're looking at offers twenty thousand pounds and above. You know, and that was where we were out of the game. So we needed to get in early. In that case, we couldn't do it. But yeah, we were getting in there early, and we were we was grabbing those wrote those records and saying, "Hey, we believe in them. We want to get. We want to pay you a couple
1: of thousand dollars. Let's have a go." Right, and then hopes, and if it would have been on Excel, would have been a massive hit, as well as it did on Epic and Sony. And well, Epic and Sony
0: weren't so much in the game at that point for even signing these things. I mean, this is one thing about the Prodigy. At the point that, that I signed um, the Prodigy, you know, an Epic or Sony, uh, 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 you know, a, a big labels of the day wouldn't have offered. It's because there wasn't enough there. You know, there was no live thing. There's just a bunch of underground breakbeaty tracks, really. No major would have gone near it. So, you know, again, that would happen further down the line. We needed to see the big hits happen for the majors to start to go, oh, this is what we want to be looking at. So, yeah.
1: So how do you – okay, so then, you know, you're looking at – it's basically what we call a track act, okay? So you're picking up a track act with no – No real singer, no, what did we do here? You're going to grab a record and you're going to take them on a tour. Cause I know like Tommy went over and Lenny D went over and some of the beginnings of, of the, the techno, the beginning of the techno scene in a sense. And even Ralphie D I remember went over to play as well in the beginning, in the late eighties into the nineties before, before the soulful house thing even broke out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How did you support that tour? Did you guys also do the touring part too, the club wise, or you just did just the release and worked it to your best to the pop chart? Was that it? Or did you actually extend it further than that? on your We,
0: point? um, you're hearing a little bit of echo in the back. Oh, no, it has gone now. That's okay. Um, we had, uh, good relationships with people like Tim Taylor, people who are agents, um, but we, what, what was happening was the club scene was growing, the rave scene was growing. So good agents were able to slide these guys in. Um, we weren't really promoting shows generally ourselves, and we weren't saying we'll be your booking agent. We were saying we'll be your record label, but we'll help you in these other areas. And that's what we did. So we just slid them in to the right you know things at the right time and the right agent and and you know it just this thing just kept growing you know so if if you've got i forget what the phrase is they say something like you know like a right all boats rise on if the tide rises all boats go up or something um i mean basically when it comes to music i think if if your music you put putting out was average If the general scene was going up, you could still find that you put out an average 12-inch, sell a 1,000 copies, and then put another average one out and find that you've sold 1,600 of the next one. Uh, But but they're both average records, but you've grown because the scene is growing. Now, that's if you're doing something average. But now think if you're putting out great records and then another really great one like then, and that's what we experienced at Excel, as we saw records charting first at 15 and 14 in the national chart. And then our records were at number three and two and but one. the
1: difference of this is now, today, everybody goes by this thing called Algorithms. Yeah. Today, or the first time around in the golden era of this whole dance music thing, you went on gut instinct, Mm. You had to have gut instinct to make a big decision to pick up a record. You didn't have any other way to go on. You couldn't look yeah. at any analytics. There was no analytics back then. Well, well, I, I, you know what? There,
0: there was. There was a different type of analytics. So, like, if it was in on import and Eastern Block in Manchester had sold twenty-five copies in one day, and City Sounds had done thirty-five copies in one day was your analytics is like okay that sounds like it's possibly a hot one but nothing like what we get today where we sit at home and tap 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 you know and there's graphs and ch- uh, you know no Do you, I mean a gut feeling is still an important part of the e- equation but now you use data and analytics to help inform those decisions but you know in with when it comes to big artists big records there's still somebody somewhere going yes I believe in this or, or no, I don't.
1: I agree that Clive Davis mentality where they say, F everything what's around you. I go only on gut instinct and I know this works. And, and
0: you know, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. You, you know, nobody gets it right all the time. So the thing about your gut instinct, you have to breathe back, you, you go with it and then you go, oh, that didn't work. Well, okay, well, maybe the next time it will. And then the next time it does work. And then you're like, okay, and this is the nature of it. Don't expect gut instinct to work all the time. Um, but as long as it is working, hopefully gut instinct, if it's generally working more than it's failing, so to speak, then then you've obviously got something going on that's, that's worthwhile. Fair enough. So Excel brings you a lot of stuff. Of- yeah. Well, Yes, there's success, there's pop hits and all of that. And then um, I get the opportunity to, um, I get offered the, the chance to join EMI and uh, set up a dance business uh, for them, um, which uh, appealed at the time. Obviously, Excel was great, um, but equally, it's an interesting opportunity. I was probably twenty. Five or twenty-six when when EMI said, look, you know, become a director here, uh hire your team, figure, you know, do whatever you want musically. We're not gonna second guess it. If you want to sign rave records, sign rave, you wanna sign house, sign house. It's not really, we don't even know the difference between these things, but you do. And, and we don't, we don't want another rave label. It's not like we want a load of records that sound like the prodigy and SL2 necessarily. We just want you to do what you're into and what you think might be successful. And we'd like to have some hits if possible. Um, you know, so that's what we're working towards. And so I decided to go for it, Lenny. And so I set up Positiva, um, Dave Lambert was my first hire there as my kind of right-hand man, um, and really, in terms of Positiva, we started it off similar style to how XL started. We didn't go, right, what is the the record that stands the biggest chance of smashing it at, at daytime radio uh, from the off? We actually signed some cool records. There was Crit- Critical um, uh, on 8 Ball, Wall of Sound, um, and De Niro by Disco Evangelists, and some cool records that weren't particularly pop hits um and then a big pop hit juggernaut came along um but it actually didn't feel like a big pop hit juggernaut when we signed it um which was real to real i like to move it now it went on to be an enormous smash but um one of my little party pieces when i speak to university students or or, you know people in the music industry is i talk about um this this record, and I asked them how much competition was there and how much did it cost to sign. Um, and it can be surprising, you know, it's it's a surprising thing that there was no competition to sign that record. Positiva was the only label offered on Real to Real. I like to move it. So it was a cheap signing.
1: Yeah, nobody touched that record, I remember when it came out. It nah. came out, um, and next thing we knew, you guys signed it. What happens right after that when you signed it? Forever? It blew up. Can you believe that? So everybody was everybody was
0: kind of like sitting on the fence. And the, basically, the, the strengths of that record were also its weaknesses. So, so you know, you could, you could say, oh, it's got this rough patois rag of vocal. That's a weakness. That's not going to go on daytime Radio 1. But it was also infectiously unique. And you know the beat's on the record. People were saying, "Yeah, well, you know, that's not a house record, so it doesn't fit in DJ's house sets. That's, a, that's got some weird beat to it. It doesn't fit in what sets? Does it fit in? I don't know that it fits in any. But that, but in the end, it sort of ended up fitting into all. Um, so you know, you have set, you know you have strengths and weaknesses wrapped up in the same thing. And, and basically, people started to realise actually, this is a really booky infectious big dance floor record and it just exploded
1: would you imagine that you know x amount of years later or should i say decades later it's it becomes part of that movie the soundtrack i mean it's something that you saw as hey it's pretty cool let me sign it i don't know where it fits but we'll have a go we I you know, I it
0: needed Dave Lambert to to elbow me in the ribs a couple of times and say, God, go, on, Nick, no, I think there's something in it. Um and he did that, but and then I came to the conclusion myself after a few prods in the ribs, yeah, you're right, there is something in it. It could. It just could. So let's have a go. So yeah, and, and then records take on lives of their own, don't they really? And like you've mentioned the film thing and you know, there's other records I uh, find that, that, that I'll play to this day. Um, you know, Buckethead's The Bomb, for example. Um, and, yeah, that's been a clubland constant for, for decades, as, of course, is Chicago Street Pail. Here's
1: a question about something like that. You guys get that record, okay, and you know there's a sample in it, or you didn't know. I don't know if you knew if it was a sample at the time. Yeah. Mm. What what was some of the politics and the dealings now? You signed this record to EMI. What's the pecking for you now to deal with? Well, in the
0: case of that, we did need to um, deal with a massive sample. And at one point it looked like the record wasn't going to come out, which was a little bit uncomfortable because it was a massive record at that point. Um, But, yeah, we managed to get over that bump get the, the sample cleared, and and it, it smashed. Um, in actual fact, the the vinyl came out later than the CD and the cassette, which is very unusual in those days because everybody felt that you needed vinyl first to give you that kick. But I think I seem to recall that the vinyl came later later Partly due to a bunch of craziness that was flying around at the time, and in the end, that we went, we charted high, and then along came the vinyl, and that secured us in the chart. It was all fine. Um, but yeah, you know, we've we've definitely had multiple cases where we've signed records, or I've signed records, and there's a sample in there that needs to be cleared, and and sometimes it's very stressful getting that happen- happening.
1: Yeah, especially in those days, because it was like the Wild West. You know, people didn't know what was going on. It's not like today where you have a copyright claim. It was like all of a sudden the record's huge, and then you're getting a cease and assist. Sure. So, like, so yeah. Man, yeah. I mean, that's like a what now? You're like, you know you're going go to go to the chart with this. Not a DJ specialty chart, but we're talking pop chart.
0: Oh, you know, yeah, with lots of stressy moments at Positiva, I mean, there was a one there was one record uh, by perpetual motion, and I knew that the sample wasn't cleared, but it was already, it had a life of its own, and I remember saying to the radio plugger, let's just, you know, can we slowly, slow, take this one slowly, like a very slow C-list for a couple of weeks, because uh, I'm thinking, i got to get this sample cleared. Went on the C-list, everybody at EMI was like, Woohoo, we're on the C-list, you know, and I'm thinking. Yeah, You know, and I'm trying to get this thing cleared. Next week, it goes up to the bloody B. I'm thinking. Oh, Lord. Oh, God, I didn't want to hear that. Meanwhile, everybody in the corridor and they're popping, you know, they're popping the confetti. Hey, we're
1: on the B-list. Yes. And yes! I'm
0: thinking. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I, I hope we can get this all sorted out all right. And then it was one of those ones where we did get it sorted, and it just literally it came through the the, the clearance, came through the fax machine. And it was like literally like that, waiting in the, yes, it is, You know, we agree to these terms. And then it was like, yes, press up the CDs, press up the vinyl, go, right, go, first... it's fine, go, yeah, it's all fine. Yeah, you know. But oh, my word. But this industry puts people through the ringer, you know, and circumstances put people through the ringer. You know, all kinds of crazy stuff happens in this industry, as you know, stressful brinksmanshipy stuff. And But it's all part of the game, isn't it, Lenny? Brother, but do, so,
1: you realize, do you realize how groundbreaking you were at that time? I'm gonna say it to you how groundbreaking you were taking these underground New York mm. house records and throwing them in the EMI system and then Radio One and this and that and making people who were just neighborhood stars or you know underground DJs become huge pop acts. Come on. Yeah, I mean it wow. Okay, hey, well you done. Know. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Look, that's I mean- true, but it's an architect. That's a true engineering architect. You are taking your shirt chance, to basically off your back to sign a record from America or Italy or whatever, yeah. not knowing if it's guaranteed. Yeah, you're going on. Maybe they're selling well at black vinyl and all these great stores and stuff like that. I mean, sorry, black market and all these shops yeah. are working a record. And you're getting the you know the ear on the street, but yeah. you still had to. You know, you're dealing with corporate. You know, talk about that for a second. What's that stress like? You're dealing with corporate individuals that don't get what we do, you mm. do, because you lived it. At the same My time, God. you have to be the bridge in between dealing with the tight-collared corporate side and sure. you having to be super street cool and keeping Slowly. everybody. You know,
0: there were definitely definitely moments where I would need to camp outside the CEO's office and say, We we just have to do this. We just have to do it. Because and they'll they would maybe say, Well, we don't generally do this at EMI, you know, and then I'd say, and you don't generally have hit dance records either, do you? And that's why I'm here. So shall we generally start to do this now and generally start to have some dance, some hit records from dance music? And that's what happened. And it was like, okay, let's, you know, we'll be more flexible on the term, on the territory. And so it goes on. So, but, you know, there's, there's all kinds of people in the mix of, of success. Um, and so, you know, there's managers, there's record label people, there's, uh, you know, pluggers, promoters, artists the, themselves, of course, absolutely so important, you know. Um, but, but uh, you know, the success has, has many fathers and mothers too, and,
1: and a lot of people contribute to uh, to hit records generally, uh, Lenny. 100%, but remember, we're talking to you. So yes, you have your minions all around you. We have all the A-listing people that help you keep that machine running. But at the end of the day, you could be sacked for the wrong reason, for the wrong. Oh, de- sure. Yeah, you know.
0: Y- y- I hope we didn't sack him. On if make decisions wrong, then or you go cold for, you know, an extended period. If you're the guy that just hasn't had a hit for, you know, 18 months, people start to sweat a bit and go, "Ooh, fucking need a hit, man, need a hit, you know. Um but uh, yeah, look, you you ride through. You have to be accepting. And as a manager, you're going to get fired sometimes by artists that you'll take under your wing and you'll develop them to a certain level, and then they'll maybe think, "Oh, that the grass is greener over there," and that you know, and they'll say, "Hey, I'm I'm off." So, and then, so that's part of the game. How it happens to every manager, however good the manager is, you know what I mean. You look at you look at. Some massive pop stars, um, and and they, you know, they've they've fired a bunch of managers over the years and moved to the next one and moved to the next one after that. Re- you know, re- rarely is it is it is the fault if they're not if they're not having success at the level that they want. It usually isn't the case that all oh, the management are messing it up. Often it's like, well, maybe your last album just wasn't that good. Well, things have changed, you know, and the market's changed. And and sometimes artists, you know, will, will find it difficult to look themselves in the mirror and go, maybe my next record just needs to be better.
1: So how long is your tenure at Positiva? When does that officially go to?
0: Yeah, so uh, that kind of, I choose to uh, start a joint venture business with Ministry of Sound and an external investor. In I was around about 99, so that was Incentive. Um, uh, so more entrepreneurial some less of the the corporate frustrations which there were a few Um, and then yeah kind of hit the ground really running with incentive as a label uh, had three top tens pop hits out of our first four singles that we put out, which is pretty unbelievable. Uh, Joey Negro, Must Be The Music was one of those. That's a great house record. Um, And it was like Mario Pugh, Communication, and uh, Highgate, Pitching Judge, all that. So then then another phase happens, uh, Incentive, lots of hits there, more trance. Records, uh, you know, some pop dance like Cascada, um, you know, had top ten single with that, all of that, and then uh, and then kind of things started to change a bit. There it became a bit more difficult, bit more of a struggle. Morphed a little bit more into artist management, a bit of music publishing. Um, reconnected then with The Prodigy a uh, and what became the Invaders Must Die album Which did, one, I think, 1.4 million albums um, And was an incredible return to form um, And then, uh, yeah, where does that take us up to? I mean, by about 2009, 10 I was kind of really then deep in the dubstep area so I was managing Casper, who's one of the leading DJ producers in that area. So, I mean, that was a hell of a thing to be part of. There's so many gigs. It was insane, Lenny. When dubstep was at its height, literally it would be, do you, you know, on this Saturday in, in three months' time, do you want to be in Bucharest, Liverpool, Toronto, Cape Town or Blackpool, you know, just like uh wherever you are,
1: we're there, right? We're gonna be there. Yeah. I'm
0: Unfortunately sure. we weren't able to be in all of those places on the same night. But that you know, we would then yeah, you know, we went did all sorts of stuff, went to Kazakhstan. Lenny, can you believe that? Casper? You can believe it, can't wait, wait, you? Wait, 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 where Barat lived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not many, not many DJs flew to, to Al <laughs> and Kazakhstan. Exactly.
1: No, I never. I've never played. I played in parts of Russia that a lot of DJs ever played, but not Kazakhstan.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that that was interesting. That's a hot as dubstep. Dubstep exploded. Um, so yeah, I did all of that, and then gosh, I mean, uh, and then I suppose really in more recent years, I've been yeah more of an artist manager. Whether it's been working with Liam Howler and the Prodigy, or Rene Levice, Radio One Drum and Bass DJ, um, DJ Fresh, Stanton Warriors, Bad Company UK, Dolly. You know, there's a the whole bunch of people that I've managed uh, or continue to manage. Some of those, um, and then and then really that all probably sort of brings us up to the current day where I have this sort of portfolio of stuff i do where I'm, I'm certainly very much still an artist manager um but i'm also a publisher i have a joint venture business with centric and I also act as a consultant to centric who are a dynamic uh, strong independent music publisher can i slow you down one second
1: yeah people have been asking where they can i saw in the chat they asked where they can send music are you still a and are you still looking for music being a publisher centric and all that. Yes, that- yes, I am. No, my, I'm always looking
0: for interesting stuff. Um, that across the publishing side, uh, I'm interested in 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 you know potential management opportunities. Um, really, the easiest thing is for people to hit me up on my socials. So maybe like just follow me on Insta, it's just Nick Hawks, um, or Facebook, and and reach out over the socials in the first instance. And then I'll tell people, like, hey, do this, do that, do the other, based on what it is. Um, so, yeah, no, still am looking, still interested and excited to hear new music and discover new artists. Um, so, yeah, so it's so there's the artist management thing, Lenny. Then there's the music publishing thing, uh, the joint venture business and um, consultancy for Centric. And then something that I started doing doing during lockdown is one-to-one artist consultancy so i do that now so instead of you, you know it being a bit all or nothing where either i'm managing an artist and just working on a percentage of what happens in the fullness of time this is more like a hybrid thing where i bring management input but then charge on an hourly basis like a music industry lawyer would so somebody will go like, "Hey, I've got these songs. Do you know the labels that could be good? Do you have ideas for collabs?" And then I'll give the, the level of support that I would if I was an art, you know, management style. if you thought about this? Thought about that? Thought about the other? So there's a one-to-one consultancy thing going on. So that's something to um, to mention. And, and equally, if people are interested in that, they can hit me up. Um, and yeah, you know, I have got a couple of other things. We talked about Reach Up, Lenny. Sure you know, you about the DJing
1: side. The DJing. Yeah,
0: Reach Up. Well, I love it. I love that. And in it, and a Reach Up Disco Wonderland is something that I run with my best friend Andy Smith. Scroll back to, us both with the two hi fi's and no mixer. A couple of kids, twelve years old, thirteen years old. And it's Andy that I run Reach Up Disco Wonderland with today. So we'll be out DJing at a festival. This year we did Camp Festival and, and we did Love Hangover. And we've got quite a lot of shows happening at the moment. Um, and, and what is more beautiful than being with your best buddy out playing music that you love, You've got that unbelievable chemistry anyway because you're best friends. So, so you know, he instinctively will know where I might go next in the set and I instinctively know what he might do. And and it's just so fluid. We can just – one of us can ease back for a bit. Yeah, you take care of it for a while. I'm going to get some drinks. I'm going to be chatting to these people. Yeah, that's cool. And then come back in. Oh, now, you know,
1: all so.
0: And dot com. There's a bunch of information there and reach up. Disco Wonderland is also on Nick, we so. your,
1: your film froze and your audio froze when you were saying.com go back a little bit and re. put yeah, that up. So reach up disco wonderland.com uh,
0: and also reach up disco wonderland on Insta uh, and Facebook. So I love doing that. And, and so DJing out with that is an important thing for me these days um, as is continuing to, to make some productions and some remixes as Nick Reach Up, although I've I've kind of slowed down on on the, the output on that over the last
1: I think we may have lost him momentarily. What a great interview everybody. Nick is is a you know, you know, some people shoot blanks. This man shoots gold and platinum. His decisions may have not been exactly the way we like to say. We lost you for a moment, Nick. But he's made the right decisions at the right moments to get things accomplished. And his track record speaks for itself. Welcome back, Nick. (laughs) I was just telling everybody that some people... Shoot blanks. You shoot gold and platinum, mate. Uh-huh. <laughs> so,
0: so, so, yeah. We. It feels like the internet's maybe, uh, maybe creaking under the, the strain of the uh, sweltering London London day. But basically, you got it there. You got the the reach up stuff uh, that I do, uh, the publishing stuff, the consultancy stuff, and then and then also, if people are interested in hearing some amazing conversations, trailblazers, electronic pioneers podcast series, I do as well.
1: Moosey and I, I mentioned last week to Musti, you were coming on, he said, what, the right person to explain a little bit about industry, and, uh, and you have re- rose to this occasion very well. But oh, cool. let, me, let me ask a question for a young and up-and-coming guy. If you're looking as a manager or a r person, what are you looking at as far as them? Yeah. Usually speaking, uh, social media wise, give someone an, an insight to, you know, a, a bird's eye view of what someone like you would be looking for, you know, number one,
0: talent, I still believe in the importance of actual talent. So I want that person to be skilled in, in their, their, their sector. Uh, secondly, I'm looking for a work ethic. Because you need both. You need that application, that ability to put the hours in and, and push things forward, as well as the the talent. Um, and I'm looking for momentum, really. So I'm I'm looking for people who are making stuff happen. So if I if I were to give just one piece of advice to an emerging artist, it's create your own momentum. Get some momentum going. Don't just Be there thinking, hey, once I've got a manager, it will be fine. Or once I've signed to a label, it will be fine. No, it won't. You've got to create momentum now. And when you sign to a record label or a manager, you need to keep creating momentum then. So, So it's a combination of these things. The ideal artist for me to work with is one who I feel is going to be really successful, whether or not I'm involved. So I want to work with people who think, I think, wow, That person's really going places,
1: whether I'm involved or not. So basically, you were more like a guide, more like you're managing to keep them in the right lanes. But they have to have the pieces right, the talent, the social media. They got to be go-getters, pushing hard to to be in that, you know, to strive to be the best at what they can be, correct?
0: Correct, generally. I mean... It would be a sad world if I said I'm not going to sign you because your socials aren't good enough. I mean, if, if somebody's got blazing talent, blistering ambition, and they have created momentum in some way, then I'm interested. So they might not have the socials firing, but they might say, hey, so I had these ideas. So I got this string quartet from university to play it all and then i found this dude from south africa and he did this to it and then i called up diplo and diplo did such and such now that's fine you even if you've got no socials if i'm hearing that i'm thinking you oh. create you're creating momentum you're making shit happen but but obviously socials is one way that it tends to show itself these days but yes i'm looking for those those things talent work rate momentum and I, I want to like the person as well I don't want to deal with assholes I don't want to deal with people who make me feel reluctant to have a conversation with them I want I want to deal with people who, who I've had a conversation with and I think yeah it was an enjoyable conversation That's good because wow. life's a bit life's a bit short to be surrounded by people that are Not good people. You want to be. You want to be surrounded with people
1: that are that that you know that you you can learn from. You try to Nick, and and I've known this happened to you. At first, everyone plays nice in the sandbox, but like anything in life, you date or you work with someone in a business. It takes time to get to know these people. It's hard to make that decision day one. You see them as a great, you know, artist or whatever until you're with them for a while, you sometimes don't see the true colors, you know?
0: Oh, that's absolutely, you can't know. So so sometimes you just roll the dice, you go, I hope this is a cool person. Um, and, uh, and then you see, you find out three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, four years later, you know, you, you just see and people can change and all the rest of it. But... But, yeah, I want to be enthused, and, you know, people need an, an enthusiastic team. They need their agent and their label and their publisher to be enthused about them and, and able to add value and go, hey, this is good stuff, you know, and that hopes, you know, and that, that moves things forward. Um, so I'm looking to be excited in music, and one of the reasons that I would a conversa- conversation like this is good is because just maybe there might be somebody watching this who goes – Okay, I'll send Nick some stuff. Maybe there's something interesting there, and maybe that could be a, a could be a whole change of path.
1: And suddenly it's like, whoa, okay, this is amazing. And that's happened to all of us. Boom! It's like, whoa, where did this come from? And that absolutely, we have to investigate.
0: Absolutely.
1: So there you go, bro. That's that's the overview. That's what made you the detective you are, because A and management. Publishing, DJing is the same job. You play this detective. You're always searching for that next big thing or that next music or the next big gig or the next whatever. But you're always on the hunt. That's- well, well, like yourself, you, you, you're, you're one of
0: these people too. Like we've realized uh, as the years have gone by that, that it's not just about like one big power move and then let's just chill for six months and then maybe we can execute another power move six months later. It's more about every day, nudge, tap, slide, hustle. I wonder if you might be, have you thought about this? Hey, just touching base. You know, maybe you might be interested in, oh, can you check this out? All of this little stuff, little seeds, bam, 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 bam. And then some of them can turn into something big and some of them won't. But you you do need to be endlessly, endlessly pushing, pushing forward, really. That's about the size of it.
1: Correct. And you just actually mentioned the generation of today because of the Internet and the things flashing, constantly changing has made us all had to adapt to quick. I mean, within a second, make changes, adjust ourselves. It's it's nuts. It's a different world we live in now. The six months yeah. and sitting back—that's the old school way. You know, you do some deals. Everything is nice. You have some dinners. You relax. You got yourself locked in your position. You're comfortable. It's not the same.
0: It's not. Yeah. So so you know it is about keeping keeping it moving forwards, and you never know. Where these uh, incredible opportunities might lie, There might be one right here now in this environment that we've got going on, um, or they may not, or it might be tomorrow, or it might be in six months' time, or and that's just the nature of it. So, hence, like I said, that's that. The plan is keep doing my thing, keep engaging, keep discussing, keep learning, and then hopefully. Um, it, you know, interesting things will, will continue to happen, Lenny. But
1: we need you to still be there because you are an OG. <laughs> an well, OG I hope I'm still going to be here for a while. Yeah, nah, that's okay. You're, right. you're going to be right there <laughs> doing, doing, doing what you do, making the right records, signing the right records, getting the right people in the right rooms to write together. This is your forte.
0: Yeah, well, right I love now. it still. I love it, nah, man. And it's... Been, yeah,
1: yeah. Go. I do. I do love it, and
0: it's been a it's been a lovely journey. And and I've got to thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, share uh, share some some aspects of it today. It's been a it's we been an enjoyable conversation, man.
1: We appreciate it because it's also insightful to what really what went on behind the scenes. People who have no idea; they just dance to the records, or they just play. Yeah. They don't really understand what the politics. of, of the there's
0: there's plenty of stories behind the scenes. It's and I enjoy watching your uh, show uh, because, of course, I learn equally all of these crazy things of stuff that I never knew. Still learning. We all about, love- Oh, you know about about different people who did the person who did that, and then that was supposed to be the record for so and so, but that person just didn't show up that day, and then it became the what, and then it was number one all over the world, like. Okay, you know it's endless stories. So you keep you keep documenting them, um, uh, and uh, you know I'll uh, <laughs> I'll keep learning and uh, documenting them in my own way as well, probably too. Hopefully,
1: watch Nick with his DJing. Nick's a bad mother.
0: <laughs> All right, well, table. thank you, mate. We we have fun. We we we, we said, always have fun. Nick said,
1: "Bother him. Tap on his social media door. Go tick 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 tick, and say." <laughs> I said, but be nice to him when you send the music, send it a nice to way, Right. And also like Roger Sanchez said, don't forget, make sure on your MP3, you put your name on the record. That would be useful. There's so many hit records were thrown away because everybody knew who to contact. It's That's whole Yeah. Could you imagine they forget to write? Cause we all do this. We download, we download, we download. We put them in a folder, correct? And yeah. then we, weeks later, we're just going through records or just catching up, and we're like, the name of the record, we have no idea where it came from. We have no idea who it is. And now it's like, well, who do we contact?
0: I know, it's, and then it's like the biggest record that you're playing out in the clubs, and you're thinking, I wish I knew what the funk this was, but ah. <laughs>
1: That's what that's 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 how it rolls. Hey, don't forget, you're sending music to Nick or me. Put your yeah. name on the MP3 or the, that or the be play That'd be that very be helpful. As as All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. We're eternally grateful to you, bro. I, I'm going to announce this right now. Check this out. This man never does interviews, but look who we pulling out for a special Sunday True House Stories. Danny Teneglia. Danny Teneglia is coming on True House Stories this Sunday, Woo. September 12th. Danny Teneglia will rock us. You know his story is huge too. Danny's got oh, yeah. huge stories with, with Twisted Records and, oh, Tribal America. God, I mean, you, Lord, remember, you remember Tribal America? well. Danny Tenegli and Junior Vasco is the war between them, the sound. Music is the answer. All those great records. Danny will be his Sunday to say it all. He's going to give us the insight from disco to techno and beyond. Once again, thank you, for all of you, for tuning in to True House Stories. Thank you, Nick Hawks, for being you and doing what you do. We thank you, Lenny, man. Thank and you. We'll be tapping at your door all the time. All right. Well I look forward I look to speaking
0: to you again soon, bro, and, and thanks to everybody who's uh, uh been kind enough to uh to check this out for uh, the, the last ninety minutes or so.